What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, mateys. And the second man on the grassy knoll, Mr. Slick Nick. What's up, y'all? Today, we have a doozy of an episode for you, but first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? Like I say every week, Mr. Bowser, it all goes. It all goes extremely well. Um, this week I went and saw Nitrum, which is a um, movie based on a true story down this way. Basically changed our gun laws. And it was one of the most heinous crimes in Australia and Tasmania history. And yeah, it is a really, really fucking great film to watch. Same director as, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it, Snowtown, which was another fucked up. Those are regional films. I don't think that those get shown up here. Yeah, no. Um, they're obviously uh, Australian, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think the produ- uh, production company's Madman Entertainment and all that behind it. So, um, yeah, I mean, Nitrum. They had an American playing the lead in this. Um, Caleb Landry Jones. That's that is correct, and um, his Australian accent is on par. It is fucking. The best that I've ever heard come out of an American actor to pull that off. It is so on point. But the fucking overall tone of that film is deeply disturbing to watch. And I can't even believe they went to lengths to showing at least certain parts of the film that I, I, even I was like, I can't even fucking believe that they're going there. You know, they don't give away too much and show too much out of respect for the families of the deceased, but they, you know, they push boundaries and yeah, it's pretty pretty fucking full on just to see that actor at least uh that martin bryant uh the killer himself just see unfold and what what were all these events that led up to him to become this killer it was yeah that uh i'm reading here it only received a theatrical release in australia fuck that's a shame because it won um best actor at Cannes when it was screened there um and it had a seven stand seven minute standing ovation so argento's film got uh an ovation too uh a vortex movie that he's in where he plays a dude with dementia oh yeah so he actually didn't he didn't direct that no he's just he was an actor somebody cast him some dude who was uh coming out of like rehab and like getting his career back together was like hey i'm doing this really visceral movie about this couple struggling with dementia and i want dario argento to play the the, the dad like the like the husband and he does and because i guess, like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah okay that's good to see him oh yeah yeah showing his acting chops up mm-hmm. on screen instead of behind the camera yeah no nah, so yeah other than that watch that fantastic film i highly recommend it to y'all overseas um what else? Uh, I've just been still working uh, every couple of days on set with a TV series. Um, you know, it's a bit of an eye opener. Got to meet the lead actor there the other week. Uh, he seems like a fantastic guy, um, and he yeah, he's he's great to watch on set. Um, but other than that, nothing really much else down this way. How about you, Slick Nick? Not a whole lot this way either. Um, been a pretty uneventful week, mostly just working. Uh, haven't really watched much of anything. Um, did watch a uh, particularly bad horror movie yesterday. ATM. Uh, it's got Josh Peck from from Drake and Josh, and it's from like 2012. Uh, watched 
it back whenever it first came out. It was bad then. Still bad now. But uh, particularly fun to watch with friends because it's really, really, really easy to pick it apart. Uh, it's one of those ones where every decision is so unbelievably bad uh, that it's it's literally just watching idiots get themselves killed. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, but it is really, really fun to watch with friends. Um, really, that's about all. Uh, gonna be honest, I have not done a ton this week. It's been pretty slow. What about you, TJ? What uh, what'd you get up to? Well, I'm waiting on uh, movies from the Kino Rocktober sale to show up sometime this week. They say Wednesday. But let's see if they stay true to that. Yesterday, I went to the Knotfest Roadshow, saw Slipknot, Killswitch Engage, Fever 333 in Code Orange. The local boys perform at the Starlight Pavilion, and it was absolutely cool, rad, and all sorts of those things. But watching films? Oh, fuck, what did I watch the other day? I normally post in the chat, too. Started watching The Man from Hong Kong today. I have that release from Twilight Time. Absolutely spectacular exploitation film. And I hope that one time soon we can cover that. But what I do want to cover is this week's film. And that is Kill List from 2011. They're bad people. We should suffer. from director Ben Wheatley, who also did Down Terrace in 2009, Sightseers in 2012, A Field in England in 2013, and High Rise in 2015. Writers Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump, cinematographer Lori Rose, who also did Down Terrace, Bill in 2015, Overlord in 2018, and Pet Cemetery in 2019. Music by Jim Williams, who did The Gift in 1991, Heartless in 2005, The Dark Mile in 2017, and Possessed in 2020. Special effects supervisor Ben Ashmore, who worked on Harrigan in 2013, A Brilliant Young Mind in 2014, Journeyman in 2017, and Running Naked in 2020. Producers Claire Jones and Andy Stark. Costume designer Lance Milligan, who worked on The Booze Cruise 2, The Treasure Hunt in 2005, A TV Movie, Tyrannosaur in 2011, Gloves Off in 2017, and The Banishing in 2020. Budget $500,000. GBP. Is that British pounds? Yep. I would assume so, yes. Oakley Doakley. And this film starred Neil Maskell as Jay, who was also in Titanic Town in 1998, Doghouse in 2009, and The Mummy in 2017. Harry Simpson as Sam. Did nothing else. Mariana Burning as Shell, who was in the, the Descent in 2005, The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 in 2011, Killers Anonymous in 2019, Michael Smiley as Gal, who was in Shaun of the Dead in 2004, Uncredited, Outpost in 2008, A Field in England in 2013, and The Lobster in 2015. Emma Fryer as Fiona, who starred in I Want Candy in 2007, Home Time in 2009, a TV series in Critical in 2015, a TV series. Strawn Rogers as The Client, who starred in Young Adam in 2003, Stardust in 2007, and The Marker in 2017. Ben Crompton as 
Justin, who is in 102 Dalmatians in 2000, Game of Thrones from 2012 to 2019, I hope you know what that is, and Rebecca in 2020. Brody, take it away. Eight months after a disastrous job in Kiev left him physically and mentally scarred, ex-soldier turned contract killer Jay is pressured by his partner Gal into taking a new assignment. As they descend into the dark, disturbing world of the contract, Jay begins to unravel once again his fear and paranoia, sending him deep into the heart of darkness. How was that? Was that a good one? It was. It was decent. I like it. Short and sweet. Award! These include, but are not limited to, the British Independent Film Awards in 2011, Best Supporting Actor, Michael Smiley, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, Best Director, Ben Wheatley, nominee. Pushan International Fantastic Film Awards in 2011, Best Actress, Mayanna Burring, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, The Empire Awards, United Kingdom 2012, Empire Award, Best Horror, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, and lastly, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards in 2013. Best Limited Release Slash Direct Video Film Nominee Best Actor Neil Mescal Nominee Best Supporting Actor Michael Smiley Nominee Boys I love to hear it Let's get physical This week's release is from MPI Media Group that was released August 14th, 2012, and it runs 96 minutes, and it's rated R. And it features audio commentaries. The disc includes two tracks, the first with director Ben Wheatley and co-writer Amy Jump, who get into nitty-gritty of production but remain elusive when it comes to explaining the film in a loose, more casual track with actors Neil Maskell, Diana Burring, and Michael Schmiley. Interviews include sit-down chats with directors Ben Wheatley, Producers Claire Jones and Andrew Stark and actors Mayanna Burring and Neil Mescal. Those are in standard definition. Making of an assortment of camera tests and behind-the-scenes footage that is in HD. A featurette, a short promo made up of some of the above interviews. A trailer, and it is a 2K Blu-ray disc that is region A locked and currently available on Amazon for $17.99. Boys? In an interview with Film 4 Special in 2013, you can also watch this on YouTube, might I add just add. Ben Wheatley discusses making a horror film. Well, I was going to make a horror film. I was going to make something horrible and scary. So that's all we thought about when we made it. And every thought was towards making it. Just making that feeling in the audience. There was no consideration of thought about making something too nasty or to upset people too much. I didn't ever think about that. And as far as I was concerned, I watched it. I understood the film, didn't have any problems with it. I didn't sit there confused with it at all. So we then showed a screening of it to the first financiers and they were really upset and scared. See why? So uh, when discussing the genre of Kill List uh, in an interview with IndieWire, uh, Ben Wheatley describes his thoughts on Kill List as, I think it's a horror film. As things went on, I wasn't sure whether I had made the mistake of understanding the difference between horror and horrible. And I think that it's a definitely a horrible film, uh, but it was definitely a film that I was trying to make that would be scary. Uh, I think my understanding of what a scary film is kind of was broader than the straight up genre definitions of what a horror film might be. I stretched it out to include things like Elam Klimov's Come and See, which you should watch uh, if you ever get the chance only once because it will emotionally destroy you. Uh, that's a Soviet era horror movie 
movie about the German occupation of Belarus um, or some of the Ken Loach movies. Uh, so I think it's psychological horror and those kinds of things are not necessarily within the realms of the supernatural, but they'll get into the audience's head and play with these kinds of feelings, clarifying his statement of the film being horrible. Uh, he said, no, I don't mean it's horrible in the sarcastic sense. Uh, it's things that are horrible. I guess that you could see that in a lot of war films, they're full of horrors and showing things that people don't want to see. They're not necessarily the same as your straight up vampire or zombie film. That's the difference. So we have Ben Waitley discussing the film itself. He quotes by saying, the thing with Kill List is that you could see it as three films glued together. But for me, it's also a symmetrical film, which basically is a film folded in the middle and has two sets of rhythm working within it. So all the clues and information are there in the film, but if you don't pick it up upon viewing, well then it's not my fucking problem. Uh, so Wheatley goes on to describe the structure of scripting the film around its performers uh, as the film was written with Maskell and Smiley in mind as the two leads specifically. I never considered any other actors for the roles. Uh, in specific reference to the dinner party near the beginning of the film, Wheatley says, the script is written specifically for the performers. Uh, it's not like a cast film where you write the script and then look around for the roles. They're all written for those actors. So that kind of gives you a head start when you hit the ground on the first day. They're going to be able to do the things that you want because you've seen them do it before and the script kind of loosely plays to their strengths as performers and also as people. Not to say that Neil Maskell is a psychotic maniac, but he can go from being in a normal conversation to being quite aggressive quite quickly. Michael Smiley is the same. On the surface, he's a warm, generous person, but also there's a tough side to him. I think that helps to get this kind of performance, but it also is written in this jagged way where you get the ups and downs of the emotions in the scene on top of each other. I'd like to be on top of you. <laughs> so Wheatley gives his views of crafting stories. So once you start thinking outside of yourself and you think of yourself as the third person, you're kind of screwed. So I basically put it all out of my head. You can only make the movies I think for yourself. So once you start thinking about an audience, then again, you're in trouble. So each of the films, there has been 90 degrees to the last film. Also, cinema is fascinating and broad because it's like, why would you do the same thing over and over again if you had the opportunity not to? Fair statement. Um, so Wheatley has described the film as a partially cathartic experience. A sizable amount of content from the story is actually based on experiences and dreams that Wheatley had as a child. Uh, namely, the end of the film with the cult's ritual actually stems from nightmares that he would have about the woods near his home. Uh, and the fight and tablecloth pull from the dinner party scene near the beginning actually stems from episodes that would apparently happen uh, at the dinner table from his childhood. Uh, I guess his dad was a mad, mad man. <laughs> Over at the Film School Archive in 2015, which you can also see on YouTube, Ben talks about the structure of Kill List. I wanted a tale that would twist and turn and keep people on their toes, really to which they couldn't really take anything for granted. So basically, they would have to think about what they were watching and just let it wash over them. So people find it irritating that they are asked to think however I think thinking is quite a good thing and should be encouraged. Uh, so this one's just a little bit of trivia, though, but I found it pretty interesting. Just kind of goes to show the actors and why they were picked. Uh, so Shell's entire phone call uh, that she has with her family near the beginning of the movie, um, I believe she's supposed to be basically yelling to her 
to her, her family or her mother or something like that. Uh, but the entire phone call at the beginning was actually completely improvised. Uh, she did the entire thing in Swedish. Ben Wheatley had absolutely no idea what she was saying at all. Uh, Dude, until I was later like, on. do we have subtitles for this? Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we have no idea what she said. Unless you speak Swedish, I suppose. But yeah, no, the director had absolutely no idea either. He was just like, uh, yell in Swedish and sound mad on the phone. And she went, okay, I'll say some shit, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was never made aware of anything at all that she said until way after the scene was filmed. Uh, actor Neil Maskell also had no clue what she was saying either until the scene was over. <laughs> so whenever he's standing there just looking mad at her or whatever, he actually has absolutely no idea what she's it's saying. It's like, uh, what's her not <laughs> reacting to the Billy's phone call? without knowing what's oh, yeah. <laughs> they recorded Marco Kidder. Yeah, that's her name. Yeah. yeah that's it. <laughs> all for it's all full circle, boys. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Brody, where are we at? So we have Wheatley talking about the violence and dark humor in Kill List. It's not always followed by that. I mean the hammer scene is quite a long way off before there is something at least amusing, but I think there's a pressure thing on it that releases some of the tension on it from the audience because you need to go up down and back up again once you hit that peak you can't maintain it for the rest of the movie because then you're in this situation where you have to do more and more horrible things that are even more horrible than the thing you've just seen or otherwise people aren't upset or otherwise people aren't upset by it anymore the humor in it is a coping mechanism for the characters as much as anything so they are going through it the same way that some of the audience would gasp or laugh. So Wheatley kind of clarifies the amount of content from the film uh, that was drawn from personal experience versus what was created specifically for the script, uh, as well as his own drawn connections and inspiration for the story. Uh, with There's a lot of bits from the movie that are from dreams, uh, like I said earlier, and it's a kind of thinking of it. It's a primal reoccurring nightmare like that. Uh, it would affect other people as well. The main thing that's influenced is by the Wicker Man is probably the ending. Uh, that kind of idea that you're in a trap that you don't know that you're in. Uh, but equally, I'm a big fan of Parallax View as well, so it could come from that. The other stuff, they wear masks, but there are no masks in The Wicker Man. I've spent quite a lot of Q&A time talking about that in a fucking Serbian film, and I'm so sorry to him for having to talk about that dumb fucking movie. <laughs> 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 he didn't direct it. What did people fucking ask him about? <laughs> I hate that movie so much. I think if anyone's going to talk about a Serbian film, I think Chad Daddy should fucking um oh shit <laughs> discuss it i think that's his favorite film isn't it tj yes it is that is confirmed so we have wheatley talking about the so-called shock imagery i wanted it for the viewers to have a psychological reaction to it and feel fear i just think that it's a kind of dangerous game to show violence in a manner that isn't realistic that you might get away with it in that context anyway i never wanted to glamorize those characters i just wanted to show this kind of game going where you like the characters but then are presented with that with what they do it just pokes at this idea that hitmen are like folk heroes like it's acceptable to what they do like robin hood but they aren't they get money for murdering people so uh in an interview with indiewire in 2012 i think it's the same one i read uh wheatley talks about that ending uh and why the film is so personal my heart goes out to the critics on this one because it's hard to talk about it with revealing a lot of things oh it is the same article that i read he was talking about not uh not having the ending spoiled in the uh reviews that he read i think when they go to screenings uh the thing that they enjoy about it is that they have no expectation of what it's going to be uh then how do you actually write a 
about that back to an audience without spoiling or even suggesting that there's a twist at the ending, because that can usually ruin movies. Uh, I'm making a film at the moment where I know I can take clips and put them online, and it won't spoil the film, but with Kill List, that's not the case. I, it'll just knacker it. I've been thinking about this a lot. It depends on what kind of viewer you are. Uh, if there's a film that I want to see, I don't want to watch anything about it or read anything about it until I go and see it. Then after, I'll read a lot. Uh, it depends on your practices as a viewer, and if you consume all information about films at all times, then I suspect that all films will be ruined for you. But yeah, it's a difficult one to write about, and I do not envy them that. And last but not least, in an interview with Wheatley at the Movable Fast of 2012, he's asked about showing cuts of the finished film. Yeah, Rob and I watched it in the two-hour version of it, and, and uh, we were like, fucking hell. And we went out and had to get drunk straight away, pretty much. So like, wow, that's strong. Then when we had the financial screenings just at the end of it, they were like, God, what was that? I remember the first time we showed it with the hammer, alluding to one of the film's more infamous sequences, because we never showed it without the effects in it. We had a strategy where we would only show it after the effects were complete. So they never got that distance of going, well, it'll be different when it's fixed. Well, boys, let's talk about it! Okay, what was your favorite performance of the film Slick Nick? Take it away. I am going to have to go with Michael Smiley as Gal. Neil Maskell did an absolutely fantastic job as Jay. Uh, I really do think that he portrayed that very well. I just like that Michael Smiley uh, was so good in this movie as going to just being his lovable goofball friend to just stone cold killer in an instant at the same time. Uh, I, I think Jay um, is a good character. I just think Gal's a little bit more interesting, uh, especially considering considering just like everything with Fiona and all of that near the beginning where he has absolutely no idea that she's a member of the cult uh, and just all of that. Um, but yeah, it, it, he Spoiler really alert. helps the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're reviewing the thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. He really helps the movie almost come across in the beginning as like damn near buddy cop, but buddy hitman film uh until everything goes tits up and the movie just turns crazy shit uh part of the reason why i love this damn movie so much um but yeah uh tj what's 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 yours what's your favorite okay you made me watch this movie <laughs> don't sound so happy about it Okay, you made me watch this movie, and it wasn't actually that bad. Uh, ah. So, performance, before I talk about anything else. Okay, so the main homie, I like him. Jay? Jay. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty good. Definitely fucking brutal, and he goes off his fucking head, like, so many fucking times, and it's totally believable. I, I think those scenes where he totally loses control, I think that everybody's lost control at some point in their life, and just, he takes it to that next level. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <he> <laughs> yes, you know. I mean, we're dealing with fucking rock spiders here. Of course, you got a fucking. Yeah, team. see, <laughs> with that, it kind of is like okay, yeah, yeah. And he has like a kid it. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was say when he when he has his own child and he watches the librarians like videos in the lockup, and then he's sitting there like after Michael Smiley just watched it too, and he's like, oh. 
fuck? And he turns it off. He's like, no, mate, you don't want to watch that. And then he goes, watches it, and then absolutely flips his fucking shit. It makes it that much more believable. Yeah. Uh, but it's his reaction to that video that really makes it even more believable. Like He, he starts really crying. Tears. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, Holy fuck. Like, what? Is this shit? And then vigilante justice. (laughs) (laughs) Then he absolutely fucking destroys like three dudes. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's a bit of a. I I like their personalities though between the two because it's a bit of a yin and yang type. Like, I mean, you got one that's really level headed, and then this one's just just like fucking head demon. And totally believable. Take over. Oh, absolutely. And once those head demons take over, you know he's a man on a mission. And I fucking love that about our lead, Jay. I I had him as well. Before we uh, continue, this is a Britsploitation film? Yeah. Uh, pretty much, yeah, uh, as yeah. much as I consider it. And it is. Yeah. That and cult exploitation, I would say. Yeah. Uh, that comparison to Wicker Man that Wheatley said was part well, of Well, it is technically it, our first folk horror film. Yes. Yes. Um, I compare this movie in my head to say, uh, I know you're not a massive fan of Ari Aster, but I do think of it in terms of like Midsummer Hereditary as well. Oh. Uh, but anyway, uh, on, to, on to better films. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, I will agree with uh, Mr. Bowser on favorite performance. I think Jay is outstanding in this. Just the way he's able to turn his anger and off. It's like a light switch, you know, in a heartbeat. And, it, yeah, like TJ said, it's a believable performance. I think that's what really drives it home. But there's never a moment where you're like, fuck, but not for a bad reason. <laughs> like, you there's def- a few moments where you're like, fuck. There's but- never a moment where you're like, okay, that's that's not for no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's yeah, no moment yeah, exactly. where you doubt where you doubt his performance. There's, like, no moment of that because he's just so fucking spot on with everything. And he definitely I- yeah. acts in character correctly i like mean the entire movie the movie's not batshit crazy the entire time but no. it's just it's it's the interactions with the inter- with the other characters with the dialogue i mean that can be attributed to the writing as well but a lot of that can be attributed to performance and i think that it's the way that those characters interact really drives home to the realism of those interact uh, and also the way it's shot we'd have to say lends yeah. a hand to that too because it's a very tight film and the way that's very personal at times and it uh really makes you feel for some of these characters in certain scenes especially Especially some oh, yeah. of the more violent scenes are even filmed tighter. Yeah, yeah, they are. The uh, the lockup, I think, in particular, or not the lockup. Sorry, um, that could after also the librarian had to do with the five hundred thousand dollar budget they had or pound budget. That is fair. It's not a lot of money. Uh, I think that's probably somewhere along the lines of like maybe eight hundred. The less you have to have on frame, the less you have to spend on uh, production design. Plain and yep. simple. So yeah, okay. Uh, I think that's <laughs> fucking it. Uh, <laughs> set piece, boys. Uh, I'm going to say the member of Parliament's house at the end with the ritual. Yeah. yeah. Going to have to go with the bonfire and all that. Yeah. It's just, it just, it flips so hard. The tunnels. We're used to. The tunnels are, yeah. The tunnels are scary, man. The tunnels are like the scariest part of the fucking movie to me. The first time I watched it, I did not think that by the end of this Hitman movie, I would actually be like. If you read the article (laughs) I sent you guys in the chat, uh, it actually references that that tunnel sequence was inspired from a film from the 40s. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. What film is that? Uh, Nick's looking it up. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. <laughs> There's the whole thing because it, it, the whole article goes in to talk about how this film's connected to a field in England and then his newest film and how they kind of uh, go from crime film to folk horror. And once he starts to go to folk horror, he just goes balls out, kind of. So they kind of talk about that. Well, I mean, they've all got that subgenre of folk horror in them. Uh, 
Yeah. <coughs> I know this movie, huh. The Third Man with Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. That's a good fucking movie. Yeah, that's is a that classic. Is that black and white? Black and white film? Yeah, at the end, uh, whenever Orson Welles is escaping through the sewer tunnels, is is what he compared yeah. it to. Yeah, yeah, we had to oh, watch okay. that at film school. That movie's fucking good. <laughs> Definitely better than like Citizen Kane. Uh, Citizen King gets hailed as like the best movie of all time. If you try watching that now, not gonna lie, man, that's kind of fucking boring. <laughs> Shit, watch Suspiria. Anyway, it's about to uh, say, <laughs> it's, uh, I guess I get understand the cinematography aspect of it, but like Citizen King's fucking boring, man. Just is. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but set piece, uh, definitely the tunnels for me. Uh, I do like the sacri- like the whole like cult shit, sacrifice shit at the end, the way that that's all set up and everything. But mostly set piece, I like that whole title thing. That was like, put me on edge. I'm, I'm a bit in the middle between you two. Like, I did love the homestead um, and the tunnel. So, I mean, honorable mention to fucking either either. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But, yeah, obviously, they're probably going to be the most standards. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pick the fucking kitty fiddler fucking little shipping <laughs> container as, like, yeah. the best. <laughs> the lockup or whatever. Uh, yeah. Fuck that. You're like, I picked yeah. the kitty diddler lockup. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Favorite scene or shot, boys? Ooh, right, right. There's There was a couple in this film, but the one that stood out for me the most was that one long tracking shot of Gal looking for Jay after his 20 minutes of waiting. Uh, we see as the camera follows uh, Jay through the fucking um, – no, sorry, Gal. Gal. Fuck, I fucked that up. <laughs> sorry, we fo- as we follow Gal, yeah, it's one shot, and it just um, shows the carnage that fucking Jay has left on his path. And uh, we finish off with a pretty damn graphic scene of Jay killing a fucking rock spider by slamming his face into the fucking wall numerous times and then shooting him numerous times with a fucking gun. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> I just want his line, too. Me. What, it's been 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing I love so much about Jay, his quick-witty dialogue. Uh, the banter between the two, it's fucking, it's actually really funny to listen to, but it's super dark at the same time. I'm going to kill him, guy. Don't kill him, bit. I'm going to massacre that table of people now <laughs> in a hotel. And I'm going to shoot him, girl. I'm going to do them one at a time, and I'm doing them slow. Uh, butter knife? Yeah. Even at the beginning, whenever he gets into the uh, fight with Shell at the dinner party, and then he stands up. What's the Abracadabra. Fucking, yeah, Abracadabra. <laughs> In front of my friends. In front of my fucking, my fucking pal. It's my fucking pal out there. <laughs> you, just, you, you get the glimpses. You see the uh, you see the darkness. Are those lyrics from a song? I don't think so. Oh, well, sure maybe. Be. I don't know. Sing it for us, Nick. Uh, could be. You see the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, isn't there like a, there's like a weird pause, right? Like that shot, that's like a weird pause. It kind of like sinks it in whenever gal comes in to find him beating that dude or no near the end uh, i don't know whether the, my the ritual yeah there's like a weird fucking pause is it after which scene is it after he kills his fucking family yeah what, where he's just sit, standing oh, there standing over his... him? and then there's like a there's like a fucking weird pause yeah yeah there is there was you a are really right weird edit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i remember saying that look at it freeze frames on him it, it's oddly effective 
because it's yeah. like such a massive shock to him. It's like a glitch. Yeah. I think you see his brain break, basically. Yep. Well, it's supposed to be. Maybe. I don't know. I think that was the most effective shot, but like seeing like smashing anyone with a fucking hammer is pretty brutal. And I just found that to be just so intense. Wow. Mm. I have tried rec- recommending this movie to people and every time I'm like, so I do have to give a caveat. There's a certain scene with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, like Cannibal Corpse wrote a song about this particular scene just way before it ever happened. <laughs> it's uh, it's fucking rough, bud. <laughs> a little bit. Brody? It's beautiful to watch. I had that as my next question mm-hmm. anyway yeah i think it was it was my answer to the uh the next question as well to be honest <laughs> <laughs> okay hey we all agree fucking hey boys favorite effect or death this is a good one yeah the whole live the, yeah the librarian scene fucking hammer yeah <laughs> fuck the yeah, cigarettes the, the multiple cigarette burns yeah i i just i also have to say that just the way that uh they take shock like the shotgun blast in the hallway like in the in the tunnels not the hallway but in the tunnels oh yeah the repeated fucking waves of cult members it's just so fucking cool effects wise just awesome just jerking people back in fucking squib city like (laughs) the darkness makes it so much better too because it's so fucking dark down there and every time they just pop one off exquisite editing on that fucking scene that makes it tense as all hell Yeah. Rest in peace, gal. Death at the end has to be the hunchback, homie. But, oh, really? Yeah, all I had that is... Uh, Even though I called it for whatever fucking reason, my the moment I saw the hunchback, I knew exactly what was going on for... Don't know why. Well, you can see this Shell's clothes. Oh, okay. Under the, under the shawl that she has on. I didn't notice it the first time that I watched it, but this, watching it for the episode, I was sitting there, I was like, oh, you can fucking tell it is Shell. Well, the <laughs> so moment the cult members showed up, I was like, what happens to the family? They're going to get them and, and make it do a sacrifice in front of them. That's immediately where my brain went so it was locked onto that the entire time so whenever they showed up i was like oh okay there they are like not even thinking twice about it so i don't know why it just rocked up like that in my head but i mean it's fair it's fair it didn't lessen the blow of the ending though i I love the way that they didn't show the sun they just kind of showed his arm flopping out and he's just fucking his face yeah you know you you see his face yeah you see his face he pulls the blanket to the side oh that's right but what about the five second fucking framing on that shot where he stabs it in the back and you just hear the <sighs> screams, and it's uh, oh fuck! Oh, it's so rough, man. <laughs> you these little, <laughs> and you're like, oh no! Fuck. Oh, he's stabbing his like fucking eight year old kid, and you just know at that point, dude, it's so rough. And the librarian getting kneecapped numerous times tortured Absolutely. and then ah, that's fucking hammer to the head and you see what about the dude getting his face smashed brain. repeatedly off the fucking wall until his face is completely gone that was my honorable mention he's like what are one. you gonna do about that he's my favorite scene in shot that that's the, probably the reason why just that mm-hmm. lead up to that just intense but fuck me the a conversation as well between the librarian and fucking jay as well it's mm-hmm. interesting to watch because he's like does he know who you are and you're like what the fuck are like, you talking about yeah thank you thank you and all this shit it's like what the fuck's going on i understand you have to do what you have to do. Okay. Also, I hinted at it with the uh, priest too. Yeah. Whenever he's like, turn around, he goes, "Thank you." I love how they come out of that. Is what is it, a closet or a doorway? Like he fucking shoots him, and then he like walks out. And the dude like fucking walks behind him. He's like fucking like peering over his shoulder the whole time or some shit. <laughs> Cal just. <laughs> 
I'm going to let you do the dirty work. Yeah. <laughs> I love that they just... must have walked into that room and went, all right, what do we do? We'll get in the fucking closet, mate. <laughs> all buddied up in there. <laughs> I, I will just say when um, Gal, isn't it? Yeah, he's upstairs going through uh, the librarian's safe. He pulls out a folder. If you freeze frame it for a split second, you see the logo yep. of the cult on it. Yeah. The and I was like, yeah. But it, I mean, he sort of makes up for it with their little conversation downstairs. But at the same time, that just, you know. It's when you realize. Like, it's all there if you pay attention, you know. like It's the like, same shit that uh, Fiona carves into the back of the mirror and everything near the beginning. It's kind of like, oh, it's getting, shit's getting real now. <laughs> yeah, first time we're together, we're going to make you get a Kill List uh, logo tattoo. Run right on your lower back, tramp stamp. Okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> tape to your cock. <laughs> yeah, the Dear John tape to your cock. Yeah. Uh, Oh, fucking A. Well, that's a perfect segue to thoughts on the story, uh, Brody. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting take on the Hitman genre. Uh, you know, you've got a little bit of sprinkled with that cult subgenre overall, uh, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the tone of the film. You know, um, it works well, but it's um, it's something different. You know, uh, it, feel, it actually feels really fresh to watch. Um, and it's a well thought out script, but yeah, I look. I honestly really like this film. Um, I think it fills my needs. It's got that action horror. That like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I'm a I'm a sucker for cult films. I really like cult films. Maybe because cults fucking intimidate me. Um, I will have to say uh, the color. Did the color bothering you guys? Not really. <laughs> This was technically during the darkening, so. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the UK is always overcast and fucking shitty weather, so (laughs) it's kind of fitting. Sorry to uh, the UK mateys over. Oh, they know. It's it's fucking fat. I just feel like all of their films have that intense overcast look to them, and it just makes it really dreary. So, yeah, it it affects it, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Um, For example, Layer Cake, Snatch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the yep. the uh, UK version of Shameless it. looks looks like that every episode. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So I, I I kept thinking like something fell off the entire time with the color, and I guess it might have just been the overcast lighting when we we're outside. <laughs> the UK shitty weather. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, but I, I just had to mention that it was on my head. I wanted to make sure I get that out there. <laughs> uh, absolutely, and I'm glad you brought it up because I'd finish what my fucking thoughts on the story was mm. slick nick what do you think buddy okay um so not gonna lie uh i fucking love this movie um honestly i i can't think of any other movie that scratches the particular itch that this movie does uh to be entirely honest um i, I can't really think of a movie that feels like this one it i just i love the juxtaposition of it starts off you know it's a movie about hitmen at least if you're going into it uh if you've seen anything about it before hand but it, it like i said it plays off almost like not a buddy cop movie but a buddy hitman movie uh until it you just start to realize how dark it's getting just kind of slowly overall until you get full-on what i believe to be a cult exploitation movie by the end when it just goes absolutely balls to the wall a story goes tits up and everything just goes crazy i love the ramp up and just the build and the tension just continues to build throughout the movie until it just explodes at the end and it just reaches its full fever pitch. I 
I love the story. Uh, yeah, I say. Uh, what about you, TJ? How'd you feel? It's interesting. Never seen a film uh, with this type of uh, story path before, but I definitely once Brody mentioned the whole uh, if you folded the film in half, kind of mirrors itself. It's definitely an interesting way to look at it, and definitely can see that now. Uh, for some reason, I I definitely understood the film going through. Like I said, I, I kind of called the ending as I was watching it, but that's probably because I kind of did all the notes and stuff prior, so I kind of had a firm understanding of what the film was about and stuff. Uh, didn't ruin the ending for me. I, I stopped and didn't read anything about the ending before, so that was good. But uh, yeah, absolutely unique and interesting film. Definitely would give it a watch again. Uh, if I could change the overcast lighting on the outside shots, totally would, but uh, <laughs> you can't fix the UK. But yeah, uh, it's definitely an interesting little folk horror film, and uh, I'm, it, I hope that we're able to do a field in England at some point and see more of uh, old Ben Wheatley's work. Good movie. It is, it is, it is a good movie. Now, clearly, it, it's impacted his work because it's allowed him to do go deeper into the folk horror stuff, clearly, with A Field in England and uh, his most recent film, uh, whatever the fuck that's called, Into the Earth or something. <laughs> just, uh, that's probably not look. right. That's probably not right. Can I just ask you, you say, In the Earth? In the Earth. Ben Wheatley. Oh, it's Ben Wheatley. He's. <laughs> 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 So, Wheatley, whiskey, whiskey, Wheatley. Wheatley. <laughs> Guys, he's what? directing the sequel to The Meg. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't Yeah, know The that. Trench. Yeah. Yeah, Meg to The Trench. Yeah, I'm excited oh, for it. Oh, yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Fuck yeah, folk horror in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, if a, if a fucking cult shows up and stabs the goddamn shark to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, on a boat. that's the real origin of the fucking Meg is a fucking like sea cult <laughs> willed it into oh. existence from Cthulhu. yeah yeah a like cult get on a boat drive out to the ocean perform rituals and then and will these megalodons into existence from the bottom of this trench <laughs> I just want to see them boat like and plot a twist. it turns the out that Jay is the cult leader after the events of this film so he's out there wait you guys hear that oh it's my phone oh hi- ho- hello Hollywood yes that is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Have I got a story for you? <laughs> takeaways, boys. What would you take away from this film? Uh, my one takeaway is very like just how relatable this film is in society. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what makes this film works so fucking well is the realism and the themes of this film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, like, if I had to really try and nail it down, it'd be like the cult scenario. I mean, that's a scary fucking thing. And the fact that, like, they're out there and we don't really know what the fuck is going on. This story could actually be a fucking, could be based on a true story. That's what, yeah. Be fucking real. Yeah. Absolutely. My big uh, takeaway is, uh, what the fuck did he mean by, it was so crazy, she was so crazy in bed, I had to shave my pubic hair. <laughs> He's <laughs> grated his cock. Uh, uh, so it was the gaffer tape. <laughs> tape the dear John to him. <laughs> Actually, that's a very good question. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Watching no, it again, I, I always wondered what was the like, fuck. Yeah, I uh, always wondered what the fuck he meant by that. I had to shave my pubes. <laughs> uh, wax? 
I don't know. I genuinely yeah, don't. She, pr- she probably put candle like wax all over his body, like that scene out of Wolf of Wall Street. Ah, there we oh, go. Sh- Minus the quaaludes. <laughs> God, if this movie had quaaludes. <laughs> so, boys, let's rate this dead, beaten, bloody pedophiles out of five. Slick Nick, it's your pick. Send it. It is a 4.2 for me. I, like I said, I love this movie. I'm biased. <laughs> I'll admit. Brody? Uh, yeah, I will give it a 3.7. I will give it a 3. And that is an LCE score of 3.6 out of 5 for Ben Wheatley's Kill List from 2011. <laughs> One of these days, I'll get a 4 out of you, TJ. One of these days. <laughs> Wheatley. <laughs> Wheatley. <laughs> what's what's the next episode <laughs> brody Whoa. oh it, i reckon that's my pick isn't it next One episode's really special masked avenger yes <laughs> and i actually had the privilege to talk to this director over facebook he's a melbourneian he's down this way <laughs> and it is titled the masturbating gunman <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned because that's going to be a very fucking do, very fun fucking episode. We all bought the Severin release for this episode. We're all excited to just talk about everything that is the masturbating gunman. Ah, the masturbating gunman. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! I can't wait to watch this fucking movie. <laughs> uh, question, Nick: Have you actually? I know you've got the release of it. Have you watched it yet? No, I have not. <laughs> Oh, no, I always uh, I save it trade. for a couple of days before the episode, so it's fresh in my head. <laughs> oh, oh that, this will live rent free in your head for the rest of your life. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Fine with that. At least I have a copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say this: I actually asked the director Mark Savage if he was ever going to make a sequel to it. And he was like, you know, there actually has been talks about making a sequel. Mm-hmm. So, fingers oh. crossed. And the cool oh, thing is, is that most of the stuff that you hear from next week will either be directly from Mark himself or from the Severn release that just got dropped. So, if you don't have the Severn release yet, it should definitely uh, persuade you to purchase that. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's a Severn release. Technically, it's an Intervision. It's on there, like that weird sub label that they have. But nonetheless, you can still find it on SevernFilms.com. Go support physical media because, baby. Physical media lives! This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser. Thank you for joining us on another episode of your favorite podcast, Lights, Camera, Exploitation. Bye-bye! This is your doppelganger, Kang and Bang, all the way from down under saying, I will catch you next week, you motherfuckers. Slick Nick, finally not sick, saying thank you for listening. Love you all. Mwah.